Hey, friends. I, uh, I'm doing another interview today. I, I know that you guys like the topical stuff that I do, and I'm doing plenty of that too, but Andy Miller III is a person that I, I've known for a long time that I need to talk to. He has a, uh, a ministry called More to the Story, and he works for Wesley Biblical uh, Seminary. I've seen him on YouTube ever since I got on YouTube. He's, uh, he and I both like interviewing people and talking about meaningful things, and so he and I uh, talked for the first time last week, and he's appearing on my podcast. I'm going to be appearing on his podcast a, f a few days later. Um, so if you don't know who he is, I'm going to do a brief intro, and then uh, he and I are going to talk for a little bit about the academic world, about uh, the Wesleyan school of, of belief, and about trying to be uh, godly men in uh, this present age. So we'll, we'll see what this time holds. But let me let me give him a proper intro. I, I called up his bio, and then, and then we'll actually talk to Andy. Um, so in the summer of 2021... Dr. Andy Miller III became Vice President of Academic Affairs and the Assistant Professor of Theology at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Ridgeland, Mississippi. He also leads more to the Story Ministries, which exists to create content with Orthodox Wesleyan convictions to serve the world in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a good mission. The More to the Story podcast comes out weekly and has more than 500,000 views and downloads. More to the Story Ministries produces video courses used in small groups, personal study, and Bible study. So we're going to make sure to link to that in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. So Andy holds degrees from Asbury University, Asbury Theological Seminary, and Southern Methodist University. He's the author of Holistic Hospitality, which was published in 2015, Stay the Course, published in 2016, and Contender, Going Deeper in the Book of Jude, published this year. He is completing a Ph.D. dissertation on William Booth's ecclesiology at the University of Manchester in the U.K. Andy and his wife, Abby, led Salvation Army churches for 15 years. The Millers have three children, Andy the fourth, Titus, <laughs> that's such a great name, Wesley, uh, both great names, and Georgia. He loves to preach, play with his kids, and date his wife when he's not rooting for the Chicago Bears. All right, so he and I are going to connect on most points except for sports. But anyway, there's a lot more to say about Andy, and I, I hope a lot more of his person will figure in. But uh, Andy, you you sat patiently with me with me as I've given you hopefully a proper intro. Uh, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing, brother? Thanks so much for having me, Jeffrey. Yeah, it's it's always hard to sit through your own bio, particularly when you know you put it together. So hopefully <laughs> it, it worked out there. But thanks th thanks for introducing me, and thanks for thanks for the work you're doing too. When I when I came upon your work, I was like, yes, this is great. We need more voices like this, and I I love the quality and the breadth of what you're doing. So it's great for me to be with you today. I really enjoy it. You know, I I, I love small town ministry and rural ministry. I don't want to be in a city. I don't want to be in a big place, but I love that I get to talk to big people in big places. So I kind of get to have my cake and eat it too. So the internet's a wonderful thing. And of course, you've been able to do some things that I couldn't. You've been able to talk to some left-leaning people that I don't think would be willing to talk to me. You you walk a line better than I do where I, you know, I'm, I'm plain spoken. I just say what I, I think. And, and, um, and it's not that you don't, but it, the, you're able to representing an academic institution and, uh, a genteel approach to the faith. Uh, people know that they're dealing with someone who's going to be, uh, fair. And so you've had a good conversation with, and, uh, Hamilton. What? Yeah. Adam. What's his first name? It's not Adam Martin. Hamilton. Adam yeah. Hamilton. Thank you. Yeah. Adam Hamilton. Uh, you had a great conversation with him. And then you've also coming out of the Salvation Army, 
um, you, you've got a, a, a broader base than I do. I'm, I've been UMC, GMC. Of course, you're a global Methodist elder now. That's right. But you yep, come yep. out of the Salvation Army, and then you've been able to interview guys from the Association of Independent Methodists and uh, do a lot of good broader Wesleyan work. So I, I do want my audience to check you out if they haven't already, so we'll make sure to plug you. Um, Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah the, the, the broader conversation that I'm realizing— you know, we talked last week, and I've been ruminating on it. I talked to Dr. David Watson at United a couple weeks ago, yeah. and I didn't think it would go this direction, but a lot of people have been interested kind of to know, um, not just about biblical interpretation, but how the different academic institutions are approaching that. Um, yeah. So you represent WBS. Your school has a particular vision so far as biblical interpretation and the kind of clergy you're trying to train up. And then there, there's a broader world of other academic institutions that are likewise trying to do this work. And so I, I, I thought maybe we would spend some time talking about WBS distinctives. Yeah, and sure. then um, I realize you're not going to dog other institutions. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to. But um, perhaps there are ways of kind of navigating the field so that people who watch this and are interested in, in academic study or preparing for ministry— that helps them kind of navigate the landscape and go, okay, uh, WBS would be really great for me, or maybe United, or maybe Asbury. Um, so that's that's the broad thing that I thought I could helpfully add to the conversation today with your help. Does that sound like a good deal? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, all those things are things I love to talk about, thinking about the broad Pan Wesleyan movement, but I'm, of course, in the um, GMC now as an elder, but I'm not functioning in a local church, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like the old idea of extension ministries serving at a seminary. Nevertheless, like I still feel like this is a key moment within broad Methodism and, and for the gold Methodist church. So I love to talk about what's happening at Wesley biblical seminary and where God's led us in the, the way that we're being called to develop trusted leaders for the church. Right on. So let's, let's talk about you personally and, and your credentials, uh, We've already talked about your degree program and and your study and your your background in the Salvation Army. Were you raised in the Salvation Army? Yeah, I was. I'm actually uh, I, I still think of myself as operating within the theology and mission of the Salvation Army. I in um, that I was six generations in. That's wild. And many wow. people like, hardly can believe it because the Salvation Army started in 1865 in London and six generations is like, it doesn't quite fit in the time period that we have, but my grandfather's great grandfather came to the Salvation Army's ministry in London in the 1880s. And then his son, who was an adult at the time, like uh, they both came. And so that's part of how I, and got involved with the Salvation Army is through that line, which is my paternal grandfather. That's how my family made it to the United States, came to the United States as the Salvation Army sent them first to Canada and then came to the United States from there. So my family's been very engaged with the Salvation Army, including some people even in Methodist circles, but generally in the holiness movement might be aware of my grandfather whose name I share. So I'm Andy the third. My dad was a Salvation Army officer with, my, with and he and my mom served Salvation Army churches and commands all throughout the uh, central territory of the Midwest. So I was the third Andy Miller in mm -hmm. it, on top of being six generations in the Salvation Army. Wow. So yeah, as you there there are not many people I know of our generation that that carry a name that is laden with meaning that yeah. has, you know, you, you're the third and now you've named your son 
Andy Miller the fourth. Yeah, you're picking up on it. And I should so, get them to the psychologist couch, and you and I can have a long talk. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, what it conveys is that the the name really means something. You know, it does. Yeah, that's really cool. And to have yeah, it that's tied a big part to, of my story. Yeah, the holiness movement and the Salvation Army, and and it's just so. So, are you still affiliated with the Salvation Army? No, not not in ordained sense. So okay. the Salvation Army functions in the sense of uh, if you are uh, we use they use the language ordained mm -hmm. and commissioned, mm -hmm. but that is associated with your appointment. So if you move outside the system, they had when I left the Salvation Army as an officer or clergy in the yeah. Salvation Army, I gave up in a sense some of my status yeah. as um as an officer and so they don't have any concept for uh extension ministries sure. like most seminaries the, most of the faculty at a seminary are ordained in some denomination and even though they're not paid by that denomination they function under that ordination well that just wasn't that's just not how the salvation army works yeah. and so there's not a category for that so when i left the Salvation Army. I still attended the Salvation Army Church here. And I say church, even though there's some resistance to that language within the Salvation Army really? in, okay. in Jackson. But then that wasn't the right place for our family. And we ended up going, we, we attended Madison United Methodist Church, which then disaffiliated and is now Madison Global Methodist Church. And then in, in, in my role here at Wesley Biblical Center, we've had an amazing surge in students from the Global Methodist Church. And I think that's part of what God's made me to be in this time is like I'm somebody who's identifying with the Gold Methodist Church, even though I didn't come from the United Methodist yeah. Church. And the same thing's true for our president here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. Matt Ayers was officially ordained by the um, by OMS, the One Mission Society, but he too has moved his ordination to the Global Methodist Church because we just see what's happening. And this is, I think, one of the best expressions. Like it has one, of the, it has a great potential to be something beautiful. And so we want to be a part of that. And God's led our seminary to be in a position where we've had 275 students in the last four months yeah. have come to us from the Global Methodist Church. And so it's a real privilege to be able to serve that group. But I come to it kind of from, and, and you, you highlight this a little bit, like from the evangelical side of the Methodist tradition. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that's kind of connected to the holiness movement in a broader way. So both Matt and I, the president of WBS, you know, OMS is that is an organization that comes from the holiness movement and the Salvation Army is the same sort of thing along with other denominations. And so WBS serves that kind of pan Wesleyan and generally if it's just connected to denominations, some of those evangelical Wesleyan denominations, many of which people don't even know still exist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the Southern Methodist uh, denomination I didn't know existed till I started doing this. Uh, Primitive Methodist Church, a lot of people don't know right. about them. There are a lot of much smaller Wesleyan denominations that still have maintained their distinctiveness. But what I understand you and me being a part of, well, and you, it's even me more meaningful with your name. You're, you've got this heritage that you're bringing in the, uh, the, a particular vision of Wesleyanism and you're decoupling it from the body that it's been associated with for six generations and transferring it to a new body where the vision is intentionally pan-Wesleyan. It's global, and, and from the beginning they've been talking about taking the different Wesleyan bodies around the world and, and bringing, in some sense, those who are willing together. Uh, and then it sounds to me like WBS is, is intentionally positioning itself 
to fulfill just such a mission as that where you're very clear on your biblical stance, but also on a Wesleyan notion of holiness. So, yes. um, yeah, absolutely. You, you're, you're definitely, it's not just a professional thing for you. It's a personal thing for you. And you said your, your president there, Matt Ayers, what tradition did he come out of? We, I think he grew up in a United Methodist church. Okay. And I, and I don't, I don't think it, he was connected in the same way that many people who would have like known about conference. It, it just happened to be the church that he attended. There was a really strong evangelical pastor that came through there that connected him to Asbury university. And then that just led to other connections for him. And so I think he probably was one who, as he worked through that tradition, when he looked at what happened in his life, he said, well, this is Wesleyanism. Mm -hmm. and I, I'm not, I don't want to speak too much for him, but that's the tradition that we come to. It's, and, and a lot of times it's connected to people who attended Asbury University and sometimes Asbury Seminary as well, which, which I did. And it's sometimes connected to me in some of the camp meeting traditions. Mm -hmm. My realization, interestingly, came when I was preaching at one of the some, – some people who know about the camp meeting world know that Indian Springs Holiness Camp Meeting – in Flowville, Georgia, is one of these kind of classic camp meetings. It was founded the same year as Asbury University in 1890. There's a lot of institutional connections between Asbury Seminary and um, and also then Asbury University. But when I was there preaching seven years ago, mm -hmm. I realized, oh man, these are kind of my my people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, th this and, and some of them are no longer in institutions that are a part of the tradition mm -hmm. but yet their heart and their theology is there sometimes it's their wesleyan theology that led them away from wesleyan institutions right um yeah. and so be, in part you know depends on where they are what what's in their town so that's that's part of in my my heart in coming to wbs is that i i became aware of in, of all of these denominations and faithful wesleyan witnesses mm -hmm. around the world and even though WBS for a long time had just a smaller footprint in that world, the vision that the new president, Matt Ayers, had was one that's like, well, that's those are the things that I'm most passionate about. Right. Those are the things that I, I care about. So I was excited to be a part of institution that was going to do that with, you know, with a little leeriness for institutions. <laughs> yeah, well, the uh, WBS is, is relatively new. It was 1974 when it was founded, right? That's right. Yeah. Coming so out 50th year. They've only had a few presidents and then Matt, he's not old enough to have been in place very long. You and he are both That's right. young men. How old are you? Well, I'm 43 years old. Okay. All right. Just a couple years older than me. So, uh you and I were talking before we we turned the recording on just about uh being fathers and, you know, I've have, I've have four kids, 7 and under, but you have three kids that are all teenagers and uh you honestly uh don't look old enough for that so both you and matt have well thank you is, is matt any older than you is he younger than he's you? younger than me he's probably more your age i think he's coming right up on 40 now what a guy and i saw in his bio that his uh emphasis was on uh hebrew poetry especially in the psalms so yeah uh, a, a yeah. biblical scholar i mean both of you are, are uh very strong in your biblical theology, and and we will talk about that. I keep setting that up. Um, we, we have been talking about our passion for Wesleyanism and a pan-Wesleyan vision. Um, I, I recently uh, had a conversation with Matt Sickle where he talked about 12 distinctives of Wesleyanism that really the Global Methodist Church must be firm on, and if you don't believe in these things, you shouldn't be a part of the Global Methodist Church. Of course, we're figuring out our culture right now, and at our first convening conference, we'll figure out what the essentials really are going to be. 
and then we'll negotiate that over time. But um, as as you're talking about, as you are envisioning a future Wesleyan movement that's ministering to the the world and the culture around us, are there are there you know two or three particular things that you're especially passionate about our heritage, maintaining the standard and the banner for in the coming years? Yeah, certainly. That's a great question, Jeffrey. Like I appreciate you asking it that way. I I. I think they they also come together with the emphases of Wesley Biblical Seminary for me, and, and in part, like I, I think the first one I'll say though, it, it was certainly something we emphasize at WBS, but is a passion for evangelism that that we want to see other people come to Christ. I'm excited when I hear I've interviewed you know most of the leaders of the Global Methodist Church, and what kind of put me in a position to get behind them is when they talk about church planning, mm -hmm. when they talk about coming into communities where there hasn't been an evangelical Wesleyan witness. Um, why? Not, I don't, I, I care about the institution, the Wesleyan institutions for sure. Like I, I've in some ways given my life to those institutions and I felt, feel called to them, but I'm called to them because they care about saving souls. Mm -hmm. And I say souls specifically when I think of souls, like I think of the, the, the entire reality that encompasses an individual, but that there is something eternal that exists within our very being. And so if that's the case, if people will spend an eternity somewhere, and I have like kind of, a, we maybe can talk, I just put it out a series uh, course on heaven. I can like mm -hmm. define what I mean by that, yeah. but I want people to come to know Jesus and have the fullness of of the total experience of entering into the dynamic relationship with him via kind of like some of the language that I think really embodies that through the order salutis of Wesley from provenient grace to sanctifying and glorifying grace. And I like, I'm, I'm excited about that sharing those, those ideas. And I think that as we move into communities and share that message, it's a hopeful message. And I think that that's the message of sanctification that there's never a time in our life where we have to sin. That love, the love that God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the self-giving love of the Trinity can spill into our lives in such a way, spill over to us that love can exclude sin and produce righteousness, like a imparted real righteousness, that we have the opportunity to be like Jesus in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, I, I mean, I, lo I love the vision and beauty of this message of entire sanctification. So that's key to who Wesley Biblical Seminary has been. And in part, we often say that our name communicates our mission. We talk about Wesley, we want to emphasize full salvation, mm -hmm. entire sanctification, perfect love, whatever language we want to use to describe that. But then also we, we say that part of what we are about is scripture and looking to the authority of scripture. And we say that we're enthusiastic inerrantist, meaning we believe the Bible is true mm -hmm. and that we want to affirm its truthfulness. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't look at it critically and bring, like you mentioned, our president uh, specializes in Hebrew poetry. Mm -hmm. um, we have all of, all of sort of the disciplines that we bring in to ensure that we're understanding the fullness of scripture, but we don't think that God has made mistakes in his divine revelation. Mm -hmm. And so we think that's the classical tradition of the church. And so from the beginning of Wesley Biblical Seminary's history, we use the word inerrancy mm -hmm. to describe like that we're our position on scripture. Our, our, like, I don't know if I'd quite say it's our hermeneutic, but it's a foundation for how we understand God's revelation in space and time. And then if we were to back up and like, we, we do have a hermeneutical perspective we use, 
uh, in that we use the inductive Bible study method. But it, all that back to what like what Wesleyanism is about. Like I, I guess if I you had to point to three things, it'd be mm-hmm. evangelism and church planning. Um, and then secondly, sanctification, but then also looking at scripture as the authority for our lives. And I, I think that Wesleyanism as a whole will have that. I think that what we can bring at Wesley Biblical Seminary, what we emphasize is the um, the reality that the Bible does not contain errors mm-hmm. in the sense and all that it affirms. So we uh, ascribe or we use or we point to the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy as a way to clarify what we mean by that doctrine. Yeah, I remember reading the Chicago Statement years ago, and I've thought just as a small segment for my channel, I think I am going to read through the Chicago Statement and talk about its historical import. And just real briefly, um, WBS being very explicit about the uh, inerrancy of the Bible, um, is that unique among Wesleyan higher educational institutions so far as uh, your explicit stance on the front end of inerrancy? I want to be really careful, Jeffrey, to not because I have, you know, I, I benefited from the seminaries I attended. Yeah. So I don't want to like position myself like against it. Like I think that some of those seminaries would have a statement that say that the Bible's without error and all that it affirms. Mm-hmm. So I think I to me that's reflective of what's in the Chicago statement. Mm-hmm. Um, so if a seminary has that, like I would think that they are an errantist. Mm-hmm. I I think. Well, so, and I don't think you have to be, I'm not asking you to, uh, whenever I spoke with David Watson, he was pretty clear that only in some senses is it right to talk about Scripture as uh, inerrant, and and that it's not necessarily a threat to have lots of different hermeneutic approaches to to Scripture. And and so that's something that he and United are just getting out on the front of and saying, hey, there's a large variety of ways in which you can approach the Scripture, and we can trust that we'll end up at the right uh, destination point. And he said as much, and and neither you nor I want to be uncharitable in an interpretation of that. But the impression I get as I, as I listen to you and as I read um, the WBS, uh, I, I was going to read over the Bible is the final authority statement that you guys have. The impression I get is that, that you are much more uh, clear on how uh, it's not narrow is not necessarily a good word to use but right, you're very right. clear that that there is a very specific way in which the the bible is rightly read and you want to equip people to read it very seriously as as an inerrant uh statement from god for man that's right i i think we want to use the strongest term possible to mm-hmm. describe the authority of scripture. And to me, in our time, that strongest word, and I think what communicate what what people understand to uh, in the pul- in the pews from mm-hmm. the pulpit is that that language makes sense to people. And we can come back and i've I've done an hour long podcast where we talk about the very specific details I have. A biblical scholar, a philosopher, two yeah, biblical it's a scholars, sit down and with you and three other gentlemen. It's uh, I, I made it halfway into that, and I had I had to move on to the next thing, but it was really really good. Gotcha. You guys were all so, uh, yeah, yeah. So so I'm willing to you know go. We're willing to go into those specifics, mm-hmm. but I think what what we at WBS are trying to do is develop trusted leaders for faithful churches. Mm-hmm. And what's happened so often is that churches out there have not received trusted leaders to serve serve them. They want to be faithful. And I think the word inerrancy communicates the power. Now, the power and the beauty mm-hmm. 
of God's clear revelation. Yeah. And it's sometimes there's a distinction that's made that I think is unhelpful is to say that it's that inerrancy is a epistemological statement as opposed to um, transformational statement like that. The purpose of the Bible is more about um, ontologically functions to transform people, you know, in in the manner of trying to move them towards sanctification. Yeah. I agree with that. Like sure. I believe the Bible's about transformation, but yeah. at the same time, it is about information. Yeah, like, it's it not, they're about, not mutually exclusive. It's both and. And I think that I, I, I just challenge people to say, well, where, where did God make a mistake? Now, maybe that's too simplistic, mm -hmm. but I don't think that God's made his mistake in his revelation. Yeah. Now, at the same time, the inerrantists aren't necessarily uh, six-day creationist. I, by the way, I have no problem with six-day creationist. Mm -hmm. I probably am not one uh, for what it's what it's worth, but mm -hmm. I, I I can't. I'm not opposed to it. And sure. like we would have students. I don't know if any of our faculty are, but that's not what we're saying. And some people want to say that an errantist present a simplistic view of scripture. And I just want to affirm like that. What we're trying to do is say that it's more about the clarity that scripture presents. And when I think about and I don't even have to talk about United Methodist Church. I can talk about the Salvation Army. Right. And where the challenges have come from in, in our in the Salvation Army, I guess our my denomination now, I still I still slip into it. For sure. 43 yeah. years I've been in the Salvation Army. Yeah. So um one thing that can happen is it, what is the authority? Like, and this is what's happened in Methodism, is if we move away from enabling Scripture to be the foundation for our lives. Now, so certainly, like we have a hermeneutical perspective, but if we say that not every, like that, not all of Scripture is divine revelation, this is where we get in trouble. I think we can really have problems going forward, and this is when we can very easily abandon portions of Scripture that don't fit in with our worldview or with our kind of like, or, or, or where we want things to be. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a question of, I mean, it's a big, big conversation that I'm not smart enough to have. You know, I, uh, you've, you've already got the sense about me. I'm sure that I'm really kind of a simple man. And as, as people warn against, uh, simplifying the scriptures, uh, I'm going great. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not threatened by that. Sure, I, sure. I think you, you focused on the word clarity, but I, I think simplicity is really, a key Wesleyan virtue that we don't talk very much about anymore, more or plainness, you know. Um, I, I love how much your words point to Wesleyanism. You know, uh, you didn't make the quote uh, explicit, but when you're talking about care of souls, Wesley himself said uh, to his clergy, "You have nothing to do but save souls. That's your that's your number right. one thing." And then uh, there was there was an uh, with the the role of sanctification, and in particular um, the the doctrine of entire sanctification. John Wesley said uh, that the grand depositum of, of his, uh, the, the Wesleyan uh, doctrine is um, perfection, uh, entire sanctification. And so the fact that you guys are unabashedly reclaiming that as a centerpiece of what you're doing uh, serves to your credit. Um, something else that you've alluded to that I think is helpful for us to, to talk about, a, a lot of people's eyes glaze over when we talk about biblical interpretation and how you do it, but the, the reason... That, that you just brought it to is it's practical so far as guarding against the drift that has been seen in the UMC and the Salvation Army and almost every other Christian body, that drift to ask that question that the, the serpent said in Eden, hath God really said? Huh. Did God really yeah, say sure. this? And so if you don't have an emphatic firm on the front end, yes, he said it, and it's perfect. 
um, mm-hmm. then you're going to open that door to, well, maybe you didn't say it like that. Maybe there's buckets. Maybe we can put some of these scriptures in, yeah, sure. in, in the, the bucket that is just never really true, or it was true in its time, but it's not a reflection of eternal truth. Um, people, you know, I, I learned, I, I'm, I'm currently re-engaging this conversation after I, I, I gladly put it down after reading about it in seminary, but when Dr. Watson, who you and I both respect and like, uh, for sure, uh, says that it's possible to reach the same point on the mountaintop using different epistemological or hermeneutical approaches to the scripture. I, in, in the conversation, was very wary and anxious about that because it doesn't seem to me that that's how it actually plays out. I, I understand there are things that work in theory, but then there's how do things actually work out. And the slippery slope actually does seem to be a very real phenomenon to me. So uh, everybody's familiar with what happened. Everybody in my audience is familiar with what's happened in the United Methodist Church. Uh, yeah. You've... You are surely aware of what happened in the United Methodist Church, but you were ensconced for all your life in the Salvation Army. A lot of people are not aware of what's gone on there. Can you briefly talk about similarities, differences, and how leftism, wokeism has similarly corroded the integrity of that institution? Yeah, and I'll say it's not it's not as far gone as the United Methodist Church at this point. Mm-hmm. There is a structure that is an uh, explicitly autocratic system within the Salvation Army, which has somewhat held it together. But uh, one of the challenges has been is that because it's a global movement and it's in a hundred and I think thirty over one hundred and thirty countries that there has been a lack of accountability <laughs> sound familiar yeah. uh, to with, with bishops and so there have been other countries outside of the united states um particularly western europe and australia that have uh, have moved away from the salvation army's explicitly stated beliefs about marriage and sexuality and scripture's authority um i would think that the salvation army's article of faith uh, said it would be a statement similar to inerrancy. We believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are given by inspiration of God, and they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. To me, that's right in the classical tradition, the uh, consensual tr- tradition of inerrancy, or however you describe it. And, I, and I'm comfortable with the way that inerrancy has, hasn't been a part of the, the word hasn't been used, but I think it's the best word to use for our time. Right. Nevertheless, so like there's been a move away from that in the Salvation Army, similarly emphasizing things like the so-called Wesleyan quadrilateral, and it has moved people to resist the Salvation Army's teaching where there's been clear statements about marriage and sexuality. And unfortunately, people have moved away from that. But they're at a critical moment where there is a new general or international leader of the Salvation Army who can bring things back to alignment. And so we're hopeful that that can happen. So, but I, I just see the Salvation Army being a little bit behind, like a five or 10 years behind what's happened in Methodism. I married a United Methodist, and my father in law is a presiding elder now in the Global Methodist Church. And so for the last 20, we've been married 21 years, I've been very well aware of the conversations happening in the Methodist church. And I follow them and I see the exact same things happening a few years later in the Salvation Army and the Church of the Nazarene and places like that. And I, and I have hope for the Church of the Nazarene as well with some initiatives there that there will be kind of a, a, a holding to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I think that includes the fact that God has spoken clearly about human sexuality. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's a little bit of what's happened in the army. Yeah, that's the human sexuality is the the most visible sign of uh, significant hermeneutic differences whenever it comes to the scriptures. Uh, it's not the only one though, and uh, of course there are a lot of preceding steps that come before that one of of departing from scriptural. So that's that's the history that I'm I'm gradually trying to retrace and and compare and contrast different institutions and. Uh, what what holds steady and what doesn't, uh, and that's a much broader topic than we can talk about here. And it's not really the focus of what we decided we were going to talk about. I, I'm I'm wanting to be particularly mindful of people who are watching this with a concern towards. I'm feeling a call towards ministry. I want to be equipped to serve in the Global Methodist Church, and um, you know, there's WBS, there's there's Asbury, there's Union, there's Mid America Christian. Um, I don't, I, those are the four that I can name off the top of my head. I don't know how many other academic institutions there are positioning themselves yeah, to equip Beeson, the next... Divinity School, in, uh, which is connected to Sanford University in Birmingham, and then uh, in Waco, Baylor has Truett. So I think that that covers all the bases, though, so far. So if I was, if I was at that stage, I would want to uh, at, at least get a framework for thinking through how do I decide which of these institutions can really bring about the yeah. best in me. And of course, you know, every institution would be like to be everything to all people, but realistically, that's just not the case. So um, perhaps it would be fruitful to have you talk for a bit about the particular strengths of WBS and the uh, the, the staff that y'all have there. Uh, yeah. And then um, maybe kind of set up a framework for if somebody is watching this and they just kind of want to discern, you know, where, where they want to look, what are some good questions for them to be asking, um, the things to be looking at? And then uh, at the very end, let's let's talk about just the the bare bones, like what's tuition. Uh, oh right, yeah. Uh, all, all the practical stuff, but but let's focus on the big picture stuff, and then get very specific if you could. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is great. I, I love the opportunity to talk about what we're doing at Wesley Biblical Seminary in a way God's called us for this moment in the life of Methodism. We hadn't been approved by the University Senate, so we had trained United Methodists many times. Like even my pastor. Barry Mail at Madison Methodist Church. He did, I think, a two years at Wesley Biblical Seminary because he was from Mississippi. He lived in Mississippi, but and he wanted to be here, but he could only do two years here, and then he transferred to another seminary to finish up so that he could be credentialed and move through the ordination process in the United Methodist Church. So for most of our history, we haven't been able to serve the United Methodist Church, and honestly, that history is so much older than me. Mm. And and Matt, the the president of Wesley Biblical Center, that we hardly know what happened, but it probably was related to this. Uh, even our stance on inerrancy, maybe just seeing us as too conservative because of that. I don't know. We don't really know, but we know that we're ready for this moment mm -hmm. as we have the opportunity to engage the Global Methodist Church, and we still do have. United Methodist students who are in our doctor of ministry program and other United Methodist students who are in churches that haven't disaffiliated. So we're glad to serve them as well. Mm -hmm. But what I think people will find at Western Biblical Seminary is that we are a flexible school and we have an energy about us to be able to get to where students are. And that means that we've developed this system called we call it a polysynchronous learning modality. So what this what this is? <laughs> oh, sorry, is, sorry. <laughs> polysynchronous, polysynchronous oh, learning man. modality. Okay. Oh, forgive me for using these terms like this. That is I'm just sorry. Wow, a lot. Poly polysynchronous. That means can happen at multiple times, right? Yeah. And then learning modality would be form of learning. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's yeah, a beautiful yeah, yeah, set of words. You can you can you can learn in different different places at different times. There you go. Now, okay. Now thank here's you what so we have. Oh, what it's not, and why did this? It, man, am I already becoming much, this much of an academic? Man, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, you're I great. Really keep, to keep avoid going. that. So forgive me, forgive me. You're but great. it's flexible. How about this? A yeah. flexity, flexible learning environment. There you go. Which yeah. doesn't necessarily mean a lot of people have an aversion to online education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like me too. Because I, when I did some online programs, when I was going through seminary, they were asynchronous. Okay, sorry, I have to use the word synchronous. Yeah, but yeah that's meaning, fine. Like there, you would you would watch a lecture, you would read a book, and then you have a discussion board, and that was the way you demonstrated and were evaluated on your learning. You just write mm -hmm. papers. Well, we think that there, there's problems with that model. That that doesn't give an opportunity for the student to be engaged with a pastor, with pastor, with with a professor. Yeah. So what we emphasize is we have an we have in person students that come to our class who live in the Jackson area. They'll sit in the classroom with us. We do that, but at the same time, we have people live syncing with us on Zoom, mm. engaged and be able to ask questions. But at the same time, we think that there are students all around the world. We have, you know, dozens of students from international environments who can't be on live with us. What we do instead of just having them watch a canned lecture mm -hmm. that within 48 hours of the class, those students are required to watch that class. And then they have learning activities to demonstrate that they watch that class mm. and that they participate in it. So that's why we have a kind of three ways that people access our learning environments or like the, these situations where they can get get access to a professor and access to content and access to an opportunity to be evaluated to help them progress in ministry. Mm -hmm. So that flexibility has put us in a position to serve 275 course of study students all around the country. Mm -hmm. And what's been amazing, and, and this isn't talking about any of the other seminaries that you mentioned, because most of the course of study classes happened at um, United Methodist schools, but these students who have come to us, they've said a couple of things. One, they say, I've never prayed in a class. Mm. <laughs> I've never had the opportunity to like, and we have some co courses that require people to have an hour long quiet time. Right. And some people might be afraid that we, we're saying, that. but we have put a real emphasis on spiritual development at the same time, kind of like the Wesleyan model of acts of mercy and acts of piety, like mm -hmm. acting out their faith, serving in some sort of form of holistic ministry. Like that's a requirement for multiple classes that we have. So we put people in that environment. So that's in the first thing mm -hmm. is that people recognize a spiritual nurturing that happens in these classes that we offer. But secondly, one of the interesting things that people have said uh, as they've come to us from the Global Methodist Church is, well, this is harder. Mm. Like this is this is intense. And what the Global Methodist Church has asked us to do and what we presented to them for our course to study is that we present all course of study students master's level content and they're evaluated on, on the same scale as a master's student. Now, this is what I think is exciting about the Global Methodist Church just no longer will you have like licensed local pastors kind of functioning as second class pastors like mm -hmm. they just in, in some of the things that they've received with course of study is kind of like sometimes a weekend sort of session where they have somebody present and they maybe write a paper we're asking for a lot more mm -hmm. now what can happen is people just have to have a if they're in the course of study they just have to have a pass fail so they just have to get a 60 percent okay. on that but 
what we're offering then is an opportunity, and that's just $400 per course. Oh, so wow. somebody could become a, a deacon mm -hmm. in the Global Methodist Church by taking 10 courses, $400 a course, and that's going to be $4,000. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on how fast you could do it, I mean, if people really take a lot of class at once, they could get through it pretty quickly, yeah. um, maybe even in um, two years. Mm -hmm. And then for the elder track, there's another 10 courses. So you're looking at the possibility of somebody becoming an elder for $8,000 yeah. um, and doing that without having to go to the same level um, of having to have a master's degree. But we hope that – this has been the case so far. Now, we're very early in the process. Mm -hmm. Most of the students – are taking these classes and they are getting really good grades. Like we have some excellent students and some have struggled and we do our best to provide them resources to help them learn how to write well and to be able to learn the academic disciplines. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is, there is a development of your mind. Like you can't come to um, say, I want to be a pastor, but I don't want to read or write. Yeah. Well, you're going to yeah. have some trouble. So yeah. like we have standards. John Wesley we have people. John Wesley was known for he provided his own sort of course of study that that his preachers were expected to cover on horseback, uh, moving from place to place and read these things and and uh, there was regular pushback from the 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 circuit riders, one of which said, "I just don't have a taste for it." And his response was, "You will acquire a taste for it, or you will acquire a different job." Um, and so to have that kind of um, it's a hard line to walk where you're inviting and saying, "Hey." Uh, don't you want to be a part of this? And if somebody just doesn't want to do it for the the academic and ecclesial institutions to say, well, really, then there's not a place for you. It's to, to model an optimism and engagement and enthusiasm around knowing things about God. And as you're talking about it, what's becoming clear to me, I went to school at Boston University School of Theology, and one of the things that's very common for all of the left-leaning seminaries I've heard of is um, we are going to throw everything we can at you to destroy your faith uh, under the theory that what's left is is uh, hardy. And I, I found that a pretty repugnant thing for a supposedly <laughs> Christian institution yeah. to do. And so what I hear you doing, and what I understand all of the institutions we've named out loud to be doing is, we're going to build up your faith, not try and knock it down yeah. and see what's left standing, but we're, we're going to equip you for how it is that the scriptures, the faith, the doctrine is true, which I think is is a much less problematic model. In fact, something that would be very... I, I wish I could go back in time. I, if I could go back in time, I would go to a different institution, except I met my wife in Boston. So oh, that's 22. I'm yeah. glad I don't actually have to make that decision. But it's, it is clear that you guys are focused much more on the building up than in any sort of tearing down, uh, which which I love. Um, we've We've got five minutes left with just, if, if you could talk directly to an individual who's thinking about pursuing higher education and they're looking at the different institutions, um, what, what do you think that they need to hear in five minutes that, that would just, well, and let me, I'm going to feel really guilty if I don't read through the Bible is the final authority statement on the website. I just think that's a really helpful thing to buttress everything you've talked about. At WBS, we believe in the supreme authority of the Word of God, which stands written in the 66 books of the Holy Bible, all therein being divinely inspired by Almighty God, and therefore without error or defect in the autographs. Believing the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice, WBS asserts the authority of Scripture alone 
over the life of the church and its individual members. We therefore believe that a reverent and loyal approach to the study of the Bible recognizes and affirms its full inspiration and its absolute trustworthiness as the divinely revealed and authoritative Word of God. Um, I'm going to mm-hmm. put the the link to this page on the show notes here so people can check that out. There's also a statement on holiness as being essential that is a fantastic statement. But for the, for the sake of time, you know, I gave five minutes for you to talk directly to someone thinking about higher ed. Go ahead. Yeah. So if you are looking for an opportunity to grow as a pastor, I highly recommend you think about Wesley Biblical Seminary because the professors that you would engage while you're here will affirm what Jeffrey just read. Everybody, and we we put people through the ringer to make sure that they affirm these articles of faith, particularly the doctrine of entire sanctification, doctrines of entire sanctification, and the doctrine of biblical inerrancy. Now, we're not saying I'm not trying to make a statement that every global Methodist church or every global Methodist seminary needs to affirm that. That's what I'm saying. But this is who you're going to get here, mm-hmm. and you're going to have trusted instruction that is going to push you in an academically rigorous way, so that you're prepared to serve the church and to serve the kingdom. Like we want to put you in a position where you understand the importance of acts of mercy and acts of piety mm-hmm. so that you can understand the kind of the context, the history of the faith, the history of ideas that have led to this. And also like we have an emphasis on preaching. I teach preaching classes here. And so like we want to equip people to be strong preachers so that they're ready to communicate these truths in a creative way. We Use the inductive Bible study method, mm-hmm. which focuses us principally in the text itself. It doesn't it doesn't do that in a silo. We believe in scripture sola scriptura, not scriptura nuda. It's not the the naked text by itself, just the text like as if we don't bring that into conversation mm-hmm. with the great history of interpretation and we don't evaluate our interpretations based upon like our, we 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 do evaluate our interpretations based upon the tradition of the church and the history of interpretation. Mm-hmm. So all of that's a part of what you would get here. And what what I would say is like I would point to alumni. I would point and, and those of you who are interested in becoming deeper thinkers, like some of the, I think the leading thinkers in the evangelical Wesleyan movement have made their way through Wesley Biblical Seminary. Somebody like Tom McCall, who I think is like the leading, not just in Wesley the Wesleyan tradition. But um, in in like a, as a systematic theologian, broad evangelicalism and Christianity as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, somebody like Jerome Van Kuyken, um, Jonathan Morgan. I mean, we could I could go on and list other people who have become really strong thinkers for our time mm-hmm. that God's using. But also, we want to equip pastors. We want to be able to position people to be deep thinking pastors who know their tradition. So we'd love to have you, and just know that the professors you learn from they affirm. That the scripture is it does not err in all that it communicates in the way that it leads us to salvation. And at the same time, scripture is a foundation for the way that we operate as a seminary. Yeah. Well, that's uh, you know, if I if I were 15 years younger, that would very much attract me. And and so folks, if if that attracts you, you personally or you know of somebody who's drawn to to that sort of approach to biblical theology and and um equipping for leadership in the body of Christ. Uh, WBS.edu is the website. They have a lot of materials for reading more about what they're about, some of the statements that I've talked about, as well as um, if you want to start the application process, go ahead and go over there. Let me drop uh, another two, two quick points in. Do it. I should have said. One, it's also a very diverse environment. 
And it's interesting, the Association of Theological Schools, our accrediting body, um, when they gave us our 10 years accreditation, that's kind of the gold standard, they told us that they, now this isn't like necessarily they're going to blast this out in a news release, that they thought we were the most racially diverse, uh, had the most racially diverse and racially balanced student body of all of their 250 plus schools. Interesting. Now, interestingly, we did that without having a diversity officer or a DEI plan. <laughs> now, uh, no, that, uh, you're not I, laughing I, about a little that. Bit of I, I think that's funny. Things. I do. Go ahead. Now, it, it, but you would find, I, I'm not saying that to like, I, I want just people to know, like it's a diverse, beautiful environment. Right. And it's diverse uh, denominationally. And we have people who are, out, some people outside of the Wesleyan tradition. That's cool. That are a part of our of our education as well. So, and I talked about the course of study. Here's one thing that's so exciting to me, Jeff. I just want to make sure I get this, is that people can come in for $400 and they can get the course of study credit that the GMC will require. Mm -hmm. But those credits can be transferred. Uh, you can buy in to get that at a master's level. So if you come in and you get a 99 and you get a, you know, a plus in a preaching class mm -hmm. it, for an extra fee, we can then also transfer that into master's credit. Okay. So people can get a master's degree, which will help them as they're serving churches, as ch some churches will still, as a GMC, it will have different type of requirements. Some churches will put the want to have somebody who has an MDiv. So you could work on your course of study just to kind of get yourself credentialed. But then if the finances are there, you can transfer those credits to be, for a master's credit. Cool. Yeah, those those are good, uh, for lack of a better word, selling points. So that I'm uh, sorry to be a salesman. Well, yeah. no, I mean, if you can't if you can't promote your institution, they've got the wrong job, wrong guy yeah. in that job. Uh, but yeah, the the. <laughs> The, the racial thing in particular, it, it almost seems to me sometimes that minorities are not wanting to be coddled or appealed to. They just want the word of God like everybody else. And so that that might be indicative of a certain approach that uh, that's that's a whole other conversation. But I love knowing that. Yeah, point. we that could. Yeah. Me. Um, so so we've reached the, the ceiling of our time together. Uh, if you've enjoyed this conversation with Andy Miller III of WBS, uh, check out his institution. If it, I've already encouraged you to do that, but also check out his ministry, More to the Story. What's the website for your ministry? Yeah, it's andymillerthe3rd.com. That's okay. andymillerii.com. And I have a I have a new uh, small group study that people have been using on the afterlife. It's five sessions, video sessions with discussion guides. And um, I talk with some experts in certain fields. It's um, been a lot of fun to do that. And I have one on Jude. People use that as they went through the discernment process. I think Jude's one of the most important books for right. our time, particularly in the Wesleyan world. So um, very pertinent. anyway, those things you can find there. So, yeah, so follow Andy, and especially if you want to be a part of the—what uh, what's happening right now is there are a lot of conversations that are coalescing around what's the new culture of the global Methodist Church going to be, what's Wesleyanism in the future going to look like. If you're interested in that topic, you need to follow Andy, and then keep following me, of course. And if, if you're watching this and you belong to another academic institution and you feel like you could help this conversation go forward with helping people navigate the current landscape and what each institution has to offer— you're very welcome to reach out to me at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. This is not a, a conversation I'm going to grow tired of or start and not finish. Uh, so go ahead and reach out. And then if anybody else, everybody can send me an email if you have feedback or you have a direction you want me to go. I'm very receptive to that. Um, I appreciate all the love and support that people give. Uh, if, if you want me to continue doing this and you want me to be able to, to continue producing quality content, Go over uh, to the locals.com and find me at Plain Spoken and consider a $5 
donation, uh, that'll go a long way towards this being a much more permanent thing for building up the Wesleyan movement. So Andy, thank you so much. I look forward to future conversations with you. Well, we're talking in just a couple more days, so I'll look forward to that. Yeah. And we'll continue building up the GMC together. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Jeffrey.